1 Corinthians chapter 7. We will be reading verses 1 through 9 and then verses 32 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Because, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried, and to widows, that it is good for them if they remain as I, even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Father, precious Son, ever-present and faithful Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider your word. Help us, Lord, to... Uh, understand and to receive in our hearts lord let us receive it with joy and we pray that you would help us lord to uh, support one another even in these things that we will talk about this morning be glorified in christ's name we pray i decrease that you may increase be glorified in christ's name we pray amen please be seated Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. It is wonderful to be with you all here this morning. Uh, we have just exited a 16-part series, Encouragements While We Wait, wherein we considered a number of commands from the Apostle Paul to the church as we wait for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In that series... Uh, we learn how the church should conduct herself while we wait for Christ and the consummation of all things. Last week, we considered how we are to conduct ourselves on the Lord's Day from the book of Nehemiah. The Lord's Day Sabbath is the blessed foretaste of heaven and the holy dress rehearsal of the eternal Sabbath that has been provided for us by Christ who has entered his rest. We are waiting for that rest, aren't we? We're waiting with hopeful, I'll say in a moment again, holy anxiety for the return of our Christ to bring us to that eternal day. And while we wait, we live here. 
We're, we're not in heaven yet. We're here. We're, we're still on earth. There is a way that we have been called to live on the Lord's day that shows that we are the people of God. There is a way that we are to live when we're not celebrating the Lord's day that shows we are the people of God. We're anxiously awaiting for the gates to, uh, of heaven for us to open. But while we're here, we're not anxiously awaiting for the gates of the world for us to open and for us to go back into the world. We should enjoy the Lord's day. We should want to stay long. We should want to tell the preacher, don't stop preaching. Keep preaching. I've got all day. <laughs> oh, if that would be, if only that were our attitudes when the word of God was being preached. Our pursuits on this day are heavenward. Our pursuits on this day are heavenward. They're toward God. We are citizens of heaven. Therefore, on this day, we show that our thoughts and our pursuits, our hopes, our aspirations, all of these things are Godward. But what about when we leave here, brothers and sisters? Your Monday through Saturday. We live as men and women, boys and girls who walk through everyday life, don't we? Albeit we are having a different goal from those who have not turned to faith in Christ, but we live in the world. We live in the real world. And while we live in the real world, we are called to live in a real Christ-like way. We are husbands and fathers sons and brothers, we are wives and mothers, daughters and children. We are widows, widowers, never married, and even divorced in the church of God. And all of us together, we are waiting with our eyes fixed on Christ for the return of Christ. This morning, I thought it would be helpful before we begin in our series of the book of Revelation I thought it would be helpful for us to address a few of the different kind of status that are uh, present in our church. We have dealt with what we do collectively as we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. I do think it would be helpful for us to then, before we go into the book of Revelation, to address how those who are single wait on the Lord and for his return. And how those who are married wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I would like to address and encourage the church. And I say this generally, the church. And those within. Because there is not a uh, first class and second class citizenship in the church. We are the church. And within the church there are those who are equally united to Christ, who find themselves in the, in the status of being married, and also who find themselves in the status of being single. We are one in Christ, although our status here on earth may be different, it does not change our status in heaven. I pray that we would not see this sermon and next week's sermon 
as one that is directed to only one particular group of people then, but that we would consider this sermon to be for everyone. Because for the married, we want to encourage the singles. And for the single, we want to encourage those who are married in the faith. We are a family of faith. Especially when we consider the fact that as I begin to think about this sermon, more than half of the people in this church, if we include our children, are single, are not married. So how then should we encourage them? There are young people who still live with their parents not married. Middle-aged people who are not married. Older people who are not married. There are different circumstances and different variations that have resulted in your not being married. But the fact remains, you're single. You're unmarried. And you're united to Christ. We must remember that what concerns one member of the body concerns the whole body. So again, the sermon is not for one group of people. It's for the whole. Now then, here in the first letter to the church of Corinth, the Apostle Paul is addressing a number of different questions that, it, that the church has asked him. And they are really, in this chapter, surrounding the idea, the subject of relationships or, or uh, marriage. Let us consider the context in verse 1. Paul is specifically addressing the church that has brought up this question in verse 1. And in verse 1, we don't have necessarily a quote, but Paul is quoting a question that they have asked him. And he says in verse 1, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Paul is, again, repeating or quoting something that the church of Corinth has said. This was coming out of this uh, philosophy of what is called asceticism. Asceticism that was infiltrating the church of Corinth. Uh, the church of Corinth and Corinth itself was a place of extreme. Now think about uh, pendulums, if you will. Extreme fornication. Extreme physical impurity. And there arose this teaching of what is called asceticism. Asceticism simply means to train or to exercise. And in this case, and because of the context in which they were living, it was to train or to exercise abstinence. It was to train yourself or to exercise abstinence from sensual pleasures. It was the belief that in abstaining from or denying one's pleasures, especially physical pleasures, that this would make someone holier than someone who did engage in physical pleasure. That the ascetics believed that if you, if you engaged in, participated in physical pleasures, you were less holy than those who did not. The most God-glorifying way to live as a Christian, they believed, was to abstain from all physical pleasures. This idea of abstinence was spilling over into marriage covenants. So those who were married were being influenced by this idea 
that if you want to be more holy, if you want to be more Christ-like, because Christ was not married, Christ did not have physical intimacy, then the best way to be like Christ, to attain a holy life like Christ, is to abstain from physical pleasures. Married men and married women, women, uh, in order to display the highest form of piety, were abstaining from one another. And it was causing some trouble in the church. Paul addresses the false idea that physical intimacy with your, with your spouse somehow makes you less spiritual. Addressing this idea. He essentially says that the married couple, they should enjoy one another. That they have been given to one another to enjoy one another within the context of marriage. And then Paul makes this concession. It's a concession because Paul says, this is a, a wisdom, uh, a morsel of wisdom that I'm giving to those who are single. It's not a command. A morsel of wisdom. But it's in the scriptures, so it's God-inspired wisdom. Verse 7. <clears throat> After speaking about this marriage and the intimacy there within. Yet I wish, he says, that all men were even as I am. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and the other in that. Now, what is this wisdom? Paul is wishing. And wishing by way of he thinks there's, there's great wisdom in what he's wishing for. He wishes that everyone was as he was. He'll say that again later in, I think, verse 32 or 33 or something. He wishes that everyone was the way he was. Now, what was the way that Paul was? Well, the context is that of, of status of relationship. Paul is saying, I wish that everyone essentially had my status. Well, what was the status of Paul, the relationship status? Paul was single. Now, there are some scholars who believe that Paul, because of his former position as a Pharisee, was most likely married at one time. But that he, his wife had died, and therefore he was a widower. We don't know that for sure, but it, it is very possible, because of the culture of that day, that Paul was married at one particular point. But this... As I am, I wish that all, all men, that's men and women, were as I am, was single. Paul is referring to, to singleness. Paul then describes his status of singleness as being a uniquely given gift from God. Verse 7. Each one has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. I wish that everyone was like me, but not everyone has the gift that I have. Some people have this gift. Some people have that gift. Paul not only gives his own Holy Spirit-inspired opinion about his status, he wishes that all people were just as he was. Because he viewed his status of being single as a gift from God. His status of being single as a gift from God. Saints, those of you who are at this moment unmarried, do you consider your status of singleness? 
as a gift from God. Let's let that pause and just think about that for a moment. Do you consider your gift of singleness as God's gracious gift to you? Or do you consider your singleness as being a thorn in your flesh? From God to you. <laughs> uh, one that you've asked God repeatedly, take it away. And God says, no, I won't take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Do you see your singleness as the number that you're given when you go to the DMV? And you enter into that purgatory and you're sitting there and you're waiting for your number to be called. You know, at least you hope, that your number will be called one day. You look around at others and see, their number has been called before. I know I was here before them. I, I know I was here before them. How could their number be called before me? Saints who are unmarried, do you view your singleness as a gift from God? For some, being single can be greatly challenging. Especially if you have the desire to be married. This status can cause the person who is single to be discouraged and maybe even insecure. What's wrong with me? Am I too much of this and maybe not enough of that? Did I come on too strong? I thought things were going good. Did I show myself as being too desperate? Was I not social enough? Was I too reserved? What's the problem with me? Or even this false idea that, that once I get married, then my life will begin. Uh, let me look around even at the younger people. Your life doesn't begin when you get married. Life begins now. You've already been living life. Life is not going to all of a sudden start when you get married. It may be a different chapter. But you are alive. There can also be a temptation on the body of Christ, us, to assume or even believe the worst about our single brothers and sisters. As if there must be something wrong with them. And that's why they're not married. That's why they're still single. There's got to be some kind of secret that they have. And once we find out, then it'll all make sense why they've been single all these years. We often conclude that there is a problem if someone is single. And least often conclude that singleness is a gift from God. Think about that, church. For the, those who are married, looking around at those who are unmarried, as if their status is something that needs to be fixed, a problem that needs to be fixed, rather than us looking at them and saying, you have a unique gift from God in your status of singleness. How do you regard your status? You may be a widow. The one whose spouse who has left you because of your faith. You may be never married. You may have never been married, I should say. Whatever the variation or reason for your singleness, how do you regard it? When you see friends and family members who are married with children, what are your thoughts? Are you envious? 
Do you find yourself asking, Lord, when will my number be called? When you are with your family, do you feel the pressure as questions like, when are you going to get married? Haven't you met anyone in your church? You go to a, there's got to be single people in your church. Hey, maybe try a website. You, you could find a mate on a website. And when these questions come, they often make, and I, I didn't get married till I was 30. They often make us feel like second class citizens, don't they? Brothers and sisters who are single, there is great encouragement from God's word. From a man who penned three, two thirds of the New Testament, who happens to also be single, that your singleness is a gift from God. How is it a gift from God? This morning, there is just two points. This will be a shorter sermon, but I'd like us to consider the gracious gift of singleness from God. Number one, singleness is a gift from God. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I am. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. Uh, let's go to verse 34 as well. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy in body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Uh, brothers and sisters, Paul encourages the continuation of singleness. And many tend to see this statement as a kind of uh, certain kind of giftedness. Now, let me explain what I mean. Many have taken this gift, the gift, and, and I use that in quotations, the gift, as to mean that God has given certain people this unique ability to have, now listen to this, absolutely no desire for marriage and absolutely no desire for the blessings that come along with intimacy in marriage. This is how... Many have viewed the so-called gift in the church. When I was growing up in church, becoming a young man, I would hear amongst other young men, I don't have the gift. I like this woman. I think I should marry because Paul said it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And I just don't have the gift. What they meant was, I don't have the gift to be content, single, or I don't have the gift that does not have a desire for intimacy and marriage or marriage and intimacy. Now, it is possible that there are some people who do have this demeanor. They have absolutely no desire to be married. No desire for uh, the blessings that come along with marriage. They have no desire for it. But I do not believe this is what Paul is speaking about when he's speaking about the gift. Paul's not talking about the certain gift of celibacy that certain people have. Most singles would reject the idea that they have been given a gift to be single. They wouldn't see it as a gift. They would not see it as a gift, but a curse. If that's the gift, I don't want the gift. Uh, give me the gift of something else in the book of Corinthians. Don't give me that gift. But think about this. What are the spiritual gifts in the book of Corinthians? And what are they used for? Uh, let's go to chapter 12 and verse 4. Chapter 12 and verse 4.
Remember, Paul was speaking about gifts in chapter 7. And then in verse 12, more gifts. There are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit who distributes them. That's important. Different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them. And in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What's the, what, who is the gift from? God. What is the gift for? The common good. Of who? The church. Paul is in this chapter 12, he's speaking even about the blessings that are given to the church. The Spirit of God gives certain gifts to the church. For the good of the church. Paul will go on to name a number of different gifts given by the Spirit. But that the entire body with all of its gifts are needed in order for the, for the body to function properly. We are the body of Christ. Each part functions together. Not separately. Nor in isolation. We function together. The gifts that have been given by the Spirit are meant to benefit. To build up. The church. I hope you're making these connections. Given by God for the edification of the church. So then, whatever Paul is talking about in verse 7, in terms of the gift of singleness, he's thinking about something that has been given by God for the building up of the church. Given by God for the building up of the church. It's not something that just naturally falls upon people who do not see marriage as being a big deal or not interested. It's something that God gives to believers by His Spirit when they are single. There's a, it's not just that you are single. It's the gift from the Spirit to know what to do with your singleness. It's not just, hey, I'm single. Because there's plenty of people in the world who are single. And, and the Spirit is not needed for someone to be single. The Spirit is needed for someone to know what to do with their singleness. Does that make sense? It's not just, I'm single, God by His Spirit made me single. It's, I'm single, and God by His Spirit shows me what to do with my singleness. So that's the gift. As a single person, Paul is saying he has this this gift to know what to do with it. And here it is. He has the God-given ability to focus in a unique way. On Christ and on the building up of His church. Why? Because that's what gifts are for. Given by the Spirit to focus on Christ and to help build His church. We we are in this building program. Christ is building His church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. We are all uh, intricately playing a part in that building project. Married people. Single people. We are all together a people. Working for the glory of God and to see his church strengthened and built. The gift of singleness in the hands of a gospel-minded Christian who has their minds and and desires and uh, efforts supremely and solely fixed and even fixated on Christ and his church. What What an amazing gift that is to the single person. This is why Paul says, I wish everyone was as I am. Well, that's everyone. I wish that every single person 
gave all of their energy, all of their efforts, all of their thoughts into Christ, into the, into the building up of his church. That should be all of us, right? We've tuned out for a moment thinking this is just for singles. I'm just going to just fall asleep here and tune out, not going to pay attention. Paul says, I wish that all men were as I am. Yes, single, but beyond single, gifted with this unique ability to not be distracted by other things, but focusing all of my attention, my efforts, my strength, my thoughts, all of my resources on Christ and on the building of his church. Could Paul have made all of his missionary journeys? Could Paul have experienced all the sufferings that he experienced if he had been married? It would have been a lot more challenging. Paul was able to go from uh, here and there. He's able to stay in tents. He was able to to uh, get by by whatever means because he only had to worry about focusing on Christ and his church and knowing that he can do all things through Christ who gives him the strength. I wonder, single person, single believer, is that the way you live? Because Paul is saying, here's the purpose of your singleness. Here's the, the reason for your singleness. Here's what to do with your singleness. To put all of your energy, efforts, and thoughts into Christ and the building of His church. What are you doing with your singleness, I wonder? It's not that you are not interested in marriage. Let's eliminate that. It's not that you're not interested in the intimacy that comes along with marriage. But, it is not the supreme goal of your life. As if being married will somehow satisfy you and make you supremely content. Again, it's not as if when I get married, then my life will begin. Life is now. But what is the purpose of your life? What's the goal of your life? Paul is saying the person who is married is consumed, really. Distracted, really. With the marriage covenant. But the person who is not married is consumed with Christ. They're consumed in putting forth maximum effort into their singleness and using it as an opportunity to promote the gospel. Again, to be a part of that building program is your singleness to you a gift. Listen to this. From all ages, is your singleness a gift? Yes, if you view it in the right manner. Yes, if you view it in the right manner. Those who have, like Paul, learned to be content in whatever circumstances... They don't need marriage to be content. They're content in Christ. Paul says, I've learned to be content in need, in plenty, being well-fed, hungry, married, single. I can do all things through Christ because my contentment is found in Him alone. For those who are single, God has answered the purpose for your status. Why am I single still? Because you have His Spirit. What should I do with it? Focus all of your energy, your efforts, your resources, your thoughts. Focus them on Christ and how you might assist in building the church. I am single because God has uniquely gifted me with the freedom to focus on my one true union at this time. But the one that will last forever. My union with Christ. My marriage to Christ. 
You could say to someone, if they say to you, are you single? No, I'm actually married. I'm married to Christ. They might think you're a weirdo, but it's true. You are married to Christ. You're not married in the earthly courts. You're married in the heavenly courts. And the heavenly courts, uh, that status of married will always last. In the earthly courts, there will eventually come a time when mine or my wives will say deceased, widow, widower. But in heaven, it's a marriage union that never ends. That's for all of us. Married, unmarried. Your marriage, uh, though you may enjoy it now, it's temporal. It's not going to last forever. It's a temporal union. It's a temporal bond. You, you have been given Christ, though, forever. You've been joined to Christ forever. He's gifted you with singleness so that you might be used to build up His church. The church has benefited from many single people throughout the centuries. But this gift is to focus on Christ with absolute dedication and delight. Dedication, we can do that. The delight is the hard part. Delighting in this. Delighting in the fact that I am completely His. And I have no other distractions. One might say, I want a family though. Let me say to you, that's a good desire. But you need to view that family with balance. The Bible goes out of its way. I said this last week. The Bible goes out of its way to relativize the nuclear family. It's important, but not as important as we make it. It's special, but not as special as we make it. Last week, I mentioned how the Lord structures our priorities because we mostly say, God, then my family. Family first, right? But uh, blood is thicker than water. We place our families just under God when, when Christ doesn't. Christ places the Father and then the church in the order of priorities. How do we know this? Christ was teaching somewhere. And there were some men who came to where he was teaching and they said, Hey, your mother and your brother are outside and they want to talk to you. What did Christ say? Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 Who's my mother? And who are my brothers? And listen, the Bible describes this when he said this. Pointing to his disciples. He said, here are my mother. Here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. How powerful is that? To the one who says, it's just about the Rugnows. It's just about the Velasquez. It's just, no, it's not. It's about Christ and his church. Christ goes to great lengths to say, because his brothers at that time ridiculed him. Jude who wrote Jude. James who would write James. They didn't believe in Christ. They weren't his brothers at the time. That's not my brother. That's my brother. Uh, we had a family gathering. Oh, it was actually a celebration of my mom's birthday uh, last year or so, the year before. I think it was Dustin who said to me when he saw my, my oldest brother and said, is that your brother? And I looked at Dustin and I said, no, you're my brother. Something very true about that. Family is everything. The family of faith. You have a family. I want a family. I'm single. You have a family. 
You have brothers. You have sisters. There are children who, who you can be a blessing to. I could meet someone who is a believer for the very first time and have more in common with them than I do my, my un- unsaved family members because I'm united to that believer. What's the difference? The difference is physical DNA and shared experiences. That's really the difference. What should we be seeking to develop here? The fact that we're united in the blood of Christ. And that we should be seeking to have more experiences with one another. Listen, even if that means we're going to get on each other's nerves, we're going to offend one another, we're going to say the wrong thing. Don't you do that with your actual brothers and sisters? Hasn't there been more than one occasion in which you were upset with them, in which they said something, in which you said to them, said to them or about them, I'm done with you. I, I'm not talking to you. And, and then you do go long stretches and then all of a sudden because... That's my brother. That's my son. You do eventually come back. How much more in the family of faith? How much more in the family of faith? Look, look forward to, and I don't, I don't want to minimize this. Look forward to spending time with your physical family. That's a good thing. But what do you do when you're with them? Gossip about your sister, gossip about your brother, gossip about mom and dad, gossip about who got this and who didn't get that, how mom's going to leave this to me and not you, how your kids are in a mess. Or are you being a light amongst unbelievers? Are you being a gospel witness among unbelievers? We need each other. We need to support one another. In whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in, we are not, we are not alone. Marriage is not the final destiny for any of us. We're not Mormons. Mormons believe this. Mormon believes that, that when you get married and when you have kids, you're going to have your own world. You can rule in together. We're not Mormons. We're married, yes. We're single, yes. But it's not eternal. We have a, a bond with Christ that is eternal, no matter what circumstance or status you find yourself in. So, one may say, but I don't want this gift I'd rather have marriage instead how could this be a gift if I'm frustrated with it if I'm discontent with it briefly I'd like you to consider what you think will be accomplished if your status is changed what do you think the result will be do you think that there will be greater contentment in marriage than in singleness well If you want to know if there's greater contentment in marriage than in singleness, ask those who are married. Because whether you are married or unmarried, your contentment must be found supremely in Christ. Do I love my wife? I love her dearly. Is my contentment found in her? Not in the least. She will say the exact same thing about me. She loves me, loves me dearly, but I am not the source of her peace nor contentment. Christ is. And sometimes in marriages, we make the mistake of thinking he needs to do something better to make me more satisfied or content. Christ does. Or you need to find it in Christ, not in him or her. The same thing goes for the person who is single. 
You must find your contentment, your satisfaction in Christ and in nothing and no one else. I want you to see, those of you who are single, that your status has been given to you, gifted to you by God for the purpose of devoting more time to Christ and to the building up of his church. Now, what are some of the ways, these are very brief, but what are some of the ways in which singles can use their time and their status of presently being unmarried for Christ and his church? Let's go through these very quickly. These are, these are just called encouragements to singles. It's found in verse 32. Let's read that real quick. I want you to be free from anxieties. Stop there. <laughs> Speaking about married people. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed that is engaged woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your benefit. What are the benefits? And what can you praise God for? Can you praise God for? And what are the benefits? Here's just a few. Married or single people, you are free from marital anxieties. Free from marital anxieties. Let me be clear, uh, because my wife is listening. I am happily married. I absolutely love my wife. Paul is not saying there is no joy in marriage. So then avoid it at all costs because it's the pits, right? He's not saying that. But let's be clear. There are certain responsibilities and concerns that come along with marriage. You're not just caring for your own needs, but you're caring for the needs of another you're not just making sure that, that you are well and taken care of. You are making sure that the person you are married to is well and taken care of. Uh, the last time I preached this sermon, it's completely different, it was five years ago. And I did say in that sermon something that I thought, that I thought was funny. But it's not the purpose of, of your being single. I said in that sermon, as a single person, you can go wherever you want to without worrying about someone to be accountable to in the sense of marriage. Where are you going at 12 o'clock at night? If, if you want to go get a, a Big Mac, go get yourself a Big Mac. You can have, I said in, the, in that sermon, a room full of Big Macs. And you don't have to answer to anyone except for your own body because you're going to pay for it later, right? But that's not the purpose of your singleness. Paul says that a single person can devote their attention to how they might please the Lord. But the married person is concerned with how they might please their spouse. Is she okay? Is she mad at me today? Is she pleased with me today? Uh, flowers today. Candy today. Make sure I take her out on date night. There are certain things that you need to, to do in order to maintain, sustain a, a good relationship with your wife. This does not mean that the married person is only concerned with how they might please their wife and not concerned with, at all with how they can please Christ. I believe that the married persons, like myself, we have a, a Christ-centered focus. But I also have a wife and three children. And I must make sure that, that they are well taken care of. 
I study at a certain time in my day so that it does not interfere with my family. I study when all of my children are asleep and my wife is going to bed. Do you see that the freedom of time is not all that it could be? Now, am I uh, disappointed about that? No, I would never ever say I'm disappointed about it. it is what it is. The single person has a certain kind of flexibility in which they can do whatever they want in terms of pleasing God and glorifying God at any time that they want. There is no anxieties or pressures from your spouse. The single person has been given the gift to devote all of their time, effort, and resources into the kingdom of God. And that's how their time should be used. Let's go to the next kind of sub-point. For the single person, my encouragement to you is avoid marital distractions. And do not, if you avoid the marital distraction, do not substitute it for other distractions. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. If you are avoiding, and that just means you're in that status, the marital distraction, do not replace it or substitute it with other distractions. Remember, the gift is from God. So that one's time, effort, resources can be used for the kingdom of God. The single believer should not allow themselves to be distracted from the work of the kingdom. Therefore, the single person should not waste their singleness. Listen to that. Waste their singleness on binge watching TV. Being the ultimate sports fan. Beating every video game from your childhood. Engaging in unhelpful social media activity. Paul said later in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Watch something that will help you grow. You like sports? Be an evangelist when you're playing sports. If you're going to post something, post something to the glory of God. Don't allow yourself to be distracted from your singleness that is a gift with unfruitful things. Because then you would be wasting the time that God has given you to focus on Christ and his kingdom on things that are meaningless, frivolous, and unfruitful. Are you single? Don't allow yourself to be distracted with other things then. God has given you freedom from other distractions so that you may focus on him. Don't fill your singleness with things that will distract you from him. Three, be willing and available. One of the greatest opportunities that you have as a single person is the freedom to say, yes. Would you like to come over for dinner? Yes. Would you like to read this book with me? Yes. Would you like to go to a movie? Yes. Would you like to go and pass out gospel tracts? Yes. And the church... Married and single. This is where we insert ourselves. Because someone needs to ask these single people these questions. Would you like to come over for dinner? We should be asking. Single and unsingle. Single and married. We should be asking the questions. I need to do a better job of this. Uh, Would you like to read a book with me? We should be asking the questions. Uh, Do not wait, single people, for the church to organize something in order for you to do it. Don't wait for there to be 
a, a Bible study that the church is organizing in order for you to have a Bible study. Go. Go to someone's house and read the word with them. You found a book that's helpful? Find someone in the church that you want to read it with. Don't wait for us. If you're waiting for us, you're going to wait too long and it's never going to happen. You want to go out and pass out gospel tracts? Don't wait for us to say we're going to schedule something on a certain day. Go do it. Uh, you have a passion for uh, standing in front of abortion mills? Praise God. Go stand in front of them. You don't need the church to organize your life in order for you to go and do something productive for the kingdom of God. Those of you who are like me uh, grew up in a church where you needed to ask permission before you could go to someone's house and read the word with them. Read through a book. You don't need to do that. You have the freedom and the time. Do it. Get together. I would love to hear. I went to brother so-and-so's house. Uh, we were at sister so-and-so's house. We were sharing together. We were encouraging one another. That's wonderful. Do more of that. We should all be involved in all of our lives. One of the dangers that, that we need to avoid is not allowing someone to see who we really are. You just get my, my Lord's Day self, but you don't get my Monday through Saturday self. We need to be able to see, our, see ourselves in our elements. Here's who we are. Here's how we really are. And these are good for us. We get to know our brothers and sisters. <clears throat> I might add also, it's helpful for the single person to invite and impose themselves. Invite yourself. Hey, I'd like to go with you. Hey, would you mind if I went? <laughs> The Christian's going to feel very awkward if they say, uh, no. Invite yourself. Impose. Think of ways that you can be a blessing to the church. And we must think of ways that we can be a blessing to one another. This certainly goes uh, beyond our status, doesn't it? It's us as the body of Christ. It's what we should be doing to, with one another, single or not. We should be seeking ways to bless one another. Next one. Ask yourself, are you treasuring your singleness? I'm sure you have already asked yourself that question today. Are you actually treasuring your singleness? Are you, are you praising God for the gift that has been given to you of being a single person? No constraints, no concerns, only to please God. It's your gift. Are you treasuring it? Or are you spending your days looking out the window, hoping that Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright will come walking up your door and ring your doorbell and say, I've been looking for you. I found you. It's not going to happen. Don't pray for Mr. Wright while you're flipping through SPN or Mrs. Wright while you're praying for you, flipping through SPN, thinking they're just going to show up at your door. I'm here. God sent me here. It's not going to happen. Use your time to glorify God. Live your life in ways that will build up the church. Spend your days enjoying the freedom going anywhere at any time. To share the gospel of the good news of Christ. It's not, hey, if I wanted to go to L.A. and try the best food anywhere I want, I'm going to go do it because I'm single. Not the purpose of your single. Now, go do that if you want to. But don't see that as the, the, the gift of your singleness. That's just you being free to do whatever you want to do. Spend your days being burdened by the gospel. Spend your days being burdened with how you can bless someone in the church. Think about this. When's the last time you called someone or text someone just on your own in the church to see how they're doing? To see how you can pray for them? Uh, to see how you can be a blessing to them? 
When's the last time? Well, brothers and sisters, if we're talking about all of us together having a Christ-centered focus and all of us together thinking about how we can build up the church, what are some of the small things that we're doing? Brother, I just want to let you know that I love you. You are a blessing to me. You know how far that goes? It goes a long way. And it's a simple thing. Build up the church. I encourage you to remember that many of us who are married have to acknowledge that we are unworthy of being married. Many of us who are married, I don't deserve my wife. My wife is a wonderful gift to me. My wife has been a great blessing of uh, sanctification in my life. She's a person, though, and in your marriage, you don't get to uh, you don't get to hide who you are. Marriage exposes you. Marriage shows you all of your faults. It shows you all of your sins. Don't think that if you get married, then all of a sudden the void that only Christ can fill will be filled. No. You'll be faced with yourself. You'll be faced with yourself in a greater way than you ever thought. Marriage will not fix you. Marriage will not cure you. Marriage will will not be the end of your loneliness. If you're lonely going into marriage, you're going to be lonely in marriage. Marriage will not satisfy you. Again, marriage will expose you. It will cause you to be confronted by things that the other person sees in you that are not good. And, and because my wife's listening, and I will see things in her that are not good. It's not easy. So don't for one moment think, I'm going to just trust in, if I get married, no, trust in Christ. Be satisfied in Christ, not marriage. Christ has promised to never leave you. There's the cure for loneliness. Christ has promised that we will be cured of our disease from sin. Christ has promised that He will fill our void. Christ has promised that He has given to us a commitment that will never cause us to doubt or distrust or even wonder if He's telling us the truth. Christ is our satisfaction. You know that there is no marriage in heaven. Why? Because marriage right now is a picture of what will be fully realized between us and Christ when we are there. The bridegroom being joined to his bride, Christ and the church. Marriage is temporary. Marriage is secondary over the eternal and primary picture of Christ and his church. Brothers and sisters, again, don't misunderstand me. Marriage is wonderful. God instituted marriage. God blessed marriage. God gives man to a woman, woman to man. It's the blessed picture of the love that Christ has for his church. And the way the church submits to her husband, Christ. But it is temporary. So don't idolize it. Don't worship it. Don't treat it as though it were final. It's not. Don't worship your family. Don't worship your kids. Your kids are not the greatest people who ever walked the face of the earth. They are temporal. They are yours for a time. Being in a human family is no sign of being blessed by God. Being 
in the family of God by faith alone in Christ alone. That's the true blessing of God. Christ, church, this is important for all of us to be aware of. But in closing, uh, I'd like to finish with an article that I came across from a person who says, the article was, what not to say to singles in the church. This is for all of us then. There are a number of unhelpful things. Here's one. I'm praying that someone will come along for you. The author said, I appreciate that, but instead pray that I would grow in Christ likeness so that if, if someone comes along, I will be better suited to be a helpmate for them. Another comment. I don't know why you haven't been scooped up yet. Author said, I know this is well intended and that I am and I appreciate that you think that I'm worth being married to. But when you say this, I try to answer the question as well. What's wrong with me? Am I too much of one thing and not of another? Do I look right? What do I need to change? Something is wrong since I have not been taken off the market. Maybe I should go read Proverbs 31 again. Another unhelpful statement. You should move somewhere where there are more singles or go to a church where there are more singles. It's good to have community, but I don't go to church to find a spouse. It feeds into the controlling nature of wanting to put my marriage and my status into my own hands instead of trusting in God. I don't have the means, I don't have the means to move. And that kind of comment doesn't help one to be content and telling them that their lives and telling them that their lives are better somewhere else. What about online dating? I appreciate the comment, but you do realize that some people feel like second-class citizens that they have to go that route. Don't you want kids? I don't have a lot of control over that, do I? Even if I was married, I still can't control whether or not we get pregnant. God determines this. And if it doesn't happen, I won't be a failure in my life. Those, and I'm sure many more, those are not ways in which we support our brothers and sisters. They are ways in which we might make them more discouraged. Here's what we can encourage them in. Christ likeness. Encourage them to walk with Christ. To keep their eyes on Christ. Encourage them to serve the church. Encourage them to learn God's word. Because their gift of singleness is given to them by God. To focus on Christ and the building of His church. Saints, as we wait for the return of Christ, I do hope that we would learn to be content in whatever area we find ourselves to be in. Next week, by God's grace, we will consider marriage and how we should conduct ourselves in the marriage union while we wait for Christ. And then we will uh, jump into the long-awaited book of Revelation. Uh, and a friend of mine gave a timeline of how long he was in the book of Revelation. I have no timeline. We may be in there until Christ returns, however long that might be. Let's pray.